You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 106, covering Ensign Rowe and Silicon Avatar. Hello, friends. We're back, and it's just me and Matt for a change. See, yeah, we, d- we dumped all the everyone else. We, I mean, we love everyone else. We, we enjoy our guests. But every now and then, it's good to just do some on our own. Cause, yeah. You know, it's more work for us. And, <laughs> and if there's one work. thing we like... Wait a minute. Hey. We are we are well into writing the next installment of the episode guide, mm-hmm. so uh, look forward to that, and also in app form some point soon. Yes, and fallen right back into our old habits of just uh, I'll write half a sentence and then Matt will finish the sentence, or I'll leave a hole for a joke and Matt will say, "Oh, that joke goes here." Like yep. I, no fucking idea how we do this. The, the least sane way to write a book ever. We're like we're like those binar guys. Yeah. Where they just, like, chatter together, and you're like, oh, okay. But without the ability to make hot programs. Yeah. You guys must be very happy together in your domestic partnership. Uh-huh. <laughs> Haven't made that joke in a while. Nope. Of course, there <laughs> are no gay people in Star Trek, but we'll get to that in a few weeks. Yeah. So there's and, something to look forward to. Yes. So that's a feather in your cap, I guess. You're, yeah. Your feather in your Captain Picard. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sad about that. I've been writing with Matt for too long, people. Oh, yeah, blame me. <laughs> I am blaming you. Ugh. Do you see me blaming you? Yes. All right. Uh, but Stop first, pointing that finger at me. Nope. I'm waggling at you, Matt. I'm not ah. just pointing. I'm waggling. Be thankful there's not enough room in here for me to waggle anything else. Oh, man. All right. Moving this episode, forward. Well, this is why we, do, why we have guests now. <laughs> The next show is just going to be guest. Tell Matt this. <laughs> guest, tell First Al of all, I don't want to. Tell Matt my... I'm not talking to him. And secondly, <laughs> tell him it's time for his good thing, bad thing. <laughs> all right. Uh, first up is Ensign Row, which was mine, mm-hmm. and it goes a little something like that. Actually, it goes exactly like this. So Captain Picard is having his hair cut by legendary Bolian barber, Mister Mott. Inviting all the world's hack comedy writers to make Picard hair jokes. But no time for that. The captain must rush off to listen to an audio-only distress call from a Federation colony under attack by... Oh, good. Rebel terrorists. Here we go. Admiral Backstory, who looks like David Caruso had a horrible accident in a catcher's mitt factory, shows up to tell Picard all about the plight of the Bajora, who've been oppressed by the Cardassians for decades. Uh, The Cardassians, you may recall, were the gray lizard-looking dudes that O'Brien's former captain wanted to genocide. The Bajora are apparently the Bajorans, easily the most lazily constructed aliens ever with their little wrinkly noses. Admiral Cragglepuss is ordering Picard to take on the disgraced Ensign Roe Laren, a loose cannon who plays by her own rules. Roe was imprisoned for breaking her Starfleet code of don't be a filthy rebel, but she's sprung from the joint for one last caper. <laughs> or to help suss out the Bajoru that destroyed that colony. Okay. So let's get a look at her in all her filthy, mullety glory. Holy crap, she's hot! And she doesn't have the personality of a wet dish rag. Finally! She does have an attitude, though, and spends most of the episode sulking, disobeying orders, and just all around being a jerk. But then a certain no-eyebrowed bartender talks her into not being a jerk, and we realize that, just like everyone else on the Enterprise, what Roe really wants is to not disappoint the captain. 
Meanwhile, back at the beginning of the story, I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but I couldn't find a place in one of my delightful run-on sentences to crowbar it in, the Admiral has a cough. And this pays off at the end, because nobody on TV or in movies can cough or sneeze without it being a thing. This thing indicates that the Admiral has been working with the Cardassians and setting up Ensign Rowe, but she and Captain Picard combine forces, expose the corruption, and save the Bajoru from ever having to suffer again. The Bajorans, on the other hand... Oh. And Picard offers the Ensign a permanent spot on the Enterprise, and, terrified that she might make him frown and shake his head sadly, she agrees. Also, Picard supplies a refugee camp with blankets, which are presumably knitted by the two useless broads on his senior staff, because that's the only way I can justify them being even remotely useful in this episode. Yep. Finally, we got a chick who isn't terrible. Oh, God, and I, she I had a nice haircut, too. Also that. Yeah, I, I like this character. I like her from day one, and I mm -hmm. like what she'll do later. And she's a little too sort of hard-ass, like a little too crossing her arms and rolling her eyes. And, <laughs> I don't have to listen to you. But well, she's a bit too much Kara at the beginning of DS9. This is true. And I think eventually they figure out how to write her just like they did with her. Yep. But uh, Michelle Forbes is great. Yeah, she is. What What's weird is she shows up in Battlestar Galactica years later as an admiral. Mm -hmm. I'm used to seeing her as an ensign, and it was just, it completely blew my mind. Like, wait, wait, how did wow, she... she it's like, wow, she really did, uh, did okay with what they gave her. Yeah, Take she, that, Chekhov. She really wanted to impress Picard, I guess. Yeah. All right. So my good thing, well, Guinan. Mm -hmm. There's an interesting character in Ensign Row, and nobody else is certainly going to tease it out of her. <laughs> Troy? Ha! <laughs> yeah. No, I love the the scene with Guinan with Row and Guinan is absolutely okay. Awesome. There's a there's a scene where Row's sitting in ten forward and drinking her drink and looking sulky and angry. And this this is the be this almost was my quote. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's more visual, really, because there's only, like, two lines. It's, uh, Troy and Beverly walk in, looking normal. They wa they approach her table, and they get these big fake smiles. And they're like, uh, do you mind if we join you? And Ro just, yes. <laughs> and then they leave. Yep. <laughs> because this, this psychologist, who is also an empath, can't crack her. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, but. But uh, Guinan has absolutely no problem. Yeah, just slips right in. Yep. They're friends in, like, a minute. Yep. And it's fantastic. And it's a relationship that they'll come back to. I mean, Rascals, I am well on the record as that not being my favorite episode, but there is a nice sort of continuation of their arc in that, and I do yeah. like that about it. Yeah. And it, uh, I don't remember a whole lot of uh, Row episodes, but I'd like to hope that they come back to that sort of thing again. I, I'm not sure that they do apart from that, but it is nice. Well, you know. fuck. <laughs> I'm not sure, honestly. Like, I only remember a few, and I know she appears... Like, I know there's a couple where she's just kind of at the con and doesn't have anything to do. Right. Which is nice. Like, it would be nice occasionally to see Barkley just sort of in engineering and not have it be his month to have a, an episode, you know what yeah. I mean? But they often... Uh, Unfortunately, you need to pay these people. <laughs> that is true. You can't just have them in the background going, Oh, I'm turning a wrench! Well, it depends. I mean, you know, Michelle Forbes had nothing better to do. Well, that's... That's true. She wouldn't go on to be Admiral Kane for at least three years. Right. Brought to you by Quiznos. <laughs> I think this was the first season where they must have, in the break, realized, shit, we, we got to do something about the women on this show, guys. This is not cool. We got to, like, these two are just too soft and ineffectual. We need somebody who doesn't suck. I mean, nothing could sum that up better than when they just walk up to her like oh, Lady yeah. and Squiggy. Yeah. <laughs> Who could be so idiotic as to, hello. <laughs> hey, but, you want to talk about it? But no. Between between her 
and Ensign Leffler, who we briefly set up last week and who will have a, a major appearance next week, mm-hmm. and uh, giving Guinan a little more to do. I know she's got a few more episodes of this season than she had. In particular, um, toward the end of the season in Iborg, she's got some really good stuff to do. Yeah, they're just—it feels like between seasons they were like, "Shit, we really gotta, we really gotta stop," you know, giving all the good characters to men. Let's let's try to step it up a little, guys. Please, just a, t- a little bit. Yeah, and they succeed. They totally succeed. I mean, I think maybe Sela was part of that uh, effort, and there they failed. But so uh, many other them all. No, but they win a lot of them, and and Soro is definitely one of those. I yep. I quite like her. Uh, my bad thing. Well, this is a failing of the hour-long drama, but. You know, you have to immediately establish who's the bad guy and who's the good guy. But the Admiral was just so textbook evil. Mm-hmm. There was no gray area at all. I like the idea of a highly placed Starfleet guy engaging in shady dealings, but it turns so quickly from let's help to, we must destroy them. Yeah, like he's literally just like wringing his hands and. Yeah. It's it's just like, I don't know, that that kind of thing works when you think he's a good guy. And I never bought him from day one. I looked at him and I said, okay. Yeah, He's, from the very second he showed. Yeah, th- this well, I mean, we've, we've been trained not to trust Starfleet admirals ever. Uh, there's some. There's some that are Picard's friends who actually help him get stuff done. Mm. It's not like Kirk, where every week the admiral's a, a pain in the ass. Sometimes Picard has, you know, highly placed friends. Well, this is why they got, they did away with Commodores. Right. Well, that and Lionel. Completely untrustworthy. Died. Yeah. Uh, so what about you? Good thing? Uh, so I was really hoping going into this that I would like Ensign Rose, so I was really pleased when I did. Mm-hmm. Like, I like her sort of naturally spiny personality going against the grain of the very, very cheerful Enterprise crew. Absolutely. And it's nice because, you know, Gene's vision, blah, 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 whatever. But for that to really work and for it to really be believable and not just bad drama, you've mm-hmm. got to have someone for them to react to. Yeah. And seeing the rest of the Enterprise crew look at her and say, what, what is her problem? It's nice. It's it's a good contrast. Yeah. No, and like I was saying, the scene where Beverly and Troy co- show up to get her to join the useless women gr- brigade and she turns yeah. them down flat, just delightful. Yeah. Really looking forward to seeing her in more episodes. Yeah. She's she's great. I really yep. like her. And like I say, she's what the show has needed for a very long time. Mm. Uh, and your bad thing? So I was genuinely, genuinely surprised by how outraged I was that Rose not permitted to wear her Bajoran ear thingy. Um, oh, yeah, now which... it's possible that Riker just thought it was jewelry, and it's also possible that he's not allowing not allowing her to wear it was a discipline thing to show her that he's in charge. But it really felt out of character for Starfleet. To yeah, me. there's a there's a bit when she first beams on, and nobody wants her there to begin with. The admiral yeah. sort of forces her, and and she, she's known by reputation. Everyone's like, "Oh no, Rolaren, yeah. absolutely not." Riker and, right off the bat, yeah. just like, "No, yeah, no, absolutely not." And the captain's like, "Yes, will I am in charge?" Oh, all <laughs> look, right. I look. This one's not up to me, okay? Well, count the pips, okay? <laughs> but, um, yeah, and he, she beams in, and she's got this, like, Bajoran. It's like a, it goes on the lobe of your ear, and then it also goes sort of on the top of your ear. Yeah. It's a, it's a neat little thing, actually. But, yeah. um, and he's like, you will obey Starfleet uniform code, and she has to take it off. I think, technically, the rules say you're not supposed to wear your cultural stuff. Mm. This is my interpretation. I have nothing to back this up. And I think the Enterprise takes a relaxed attitude toward that. It's fine. Or if you want to wear your sash, that's cool. No problem. See, I always felt that Starfleet in general took a relaxed attitude to that just because, like, you know, people can wear their religious, like, uh, like, whatever stuff now. I don't think that that's true, actually. The military has a fairly strict uniform code, and part of the point of that is that everyone looks the same. If you start letting people wear individual things, you kind of lose the whole idea of every soldier is the same. I just remember there was a big thing here about uh, we had a uh, large Sikh population. Mm-hmm. 
and there was a lot of talk about um, about letting uh, Sikh police officers wear their turbans. I will see. Police are different than the military, though. That's true. In the military, and and this isn't a criticism. It's the way the military works. You have to have the same haircut. You have to wear the same uniform. Like everyone has to be the same. That's the way. That's the logic behind it. That's you can't wear your elaborate ear thing. Right. But like I say, I think the Enterprise, because they, you know, they represent the, the Federation's ideals, blah, blah, blah. I think, nah, you know what? Or if you can wear your sash. Troy, you don't even have to come to work in a uniform. That's fine. Whatever you guys want. It's casual Friday. Come to come to the bridge in your Hawaiian shirts. That's totally fine. <laughs> oh, no, excuse me. In your Ricin shirts. Now I'm just picturing Riker in a Hawaiian shirt and a, a pair of blue jeans. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's casual Friday. And why not a big belt buckle of Alaska? Oh, see, I was picturing him drinking uh, a coconut with a uh, with a straw, in it. you know, a Coco Nono. <laughs> he stole Jordy's. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Jordy didn't score with that chick, so he wasn't drinking it. No, no. Right. Jordy made it for himself, and then Riker just showed up and drank it. <laughs> and Jordy, Jordy, been looking forward to that Coco Nono all day. Yep. He programmed the replicator painstakingly to make a yep. perfect one, and then yoink. But he wasn't going to say anything. Riker even said yoink. <laughs> hey, thanks, buddy. Yep. Um, so, really, at the heart of this, this is a Filthy Rebels episode. Yep. I should not have liked this. And granted, I think I may have been a little biased because I know these guys are going to be cool in DS9. But I tried to look at it on its own. And I, I, it's not bad. Because here's the thing. I've said this all along. When you see a planet you've never seen before and you're meant to care for the planet, uh, you know you're never going to see him again. You don't care. But we're seeing this from Rose's perspective. You care about her. She's a well-written character. We get inside her head, and you know she's coming back. Mm -hmm. And because we have something invested in her, we care about her people. That's how you write a Rebel episode, because you put something at stake for someone you actually care about. Yeah. Instead of just, uh, here's a planet, uh, who cares, whatever, next. That's just not interesting to me. And I also, I always felt that the Bajorans had a legitimate, like, beef with the Cardassians. Oh, well, the thing is, a lot of the Rebel episodes have had legitimate problems, but uh, I just don't care. I, all the, all the Rebel episodes always seem to come back to me just, well, then fucking leave. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. These guys did leave. Yeah. They, I mean, the Cardassians occupied Bajor, which we'll find out in DS9 at length. Mm -hmm. And so a bunch of people left, which, yep. <laughs> not all the people who stuck around and fought appreciate that but that'll that'll come way later what do you think kira i don't think it's good yeah i think it's the other one the bad one <laughs> i'm mad <laughs> sorry turn into laura for a second there <laughs> laura mocking kira that's not what laura actually sounds like just you know mocking. let the record show that we like kira yes we do quite a lot actually kira was originally supposed to be roe yeah they, they wrote the, you know, basically the same part. And then, um, for whatever reason, Michelle Forbes turned it down. So they they changed it. I assume the, uh, I don't want to be typecast as a Star Trek character because I want I want work and I don't want to have to show up at cons. Yeah. Well, she, you know, I mean, she was in Battlestar. She's been in a lot of stuff. That's she, true. She, apart from this, is best known to me as uh, George Costanza's girlfriend in the Big Salad episode of Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. But she's, she's one of those chicks who's all over the place. And you're like, mm -hmm. who's that? She's cute. Oh! Well, hi. Yes, exactly. Why, it's Ensign Rowe. Yes. Hello, Ensign Rowe. You. <laughs> you. Why would you tell her you bought the big salad? I bought the big salad. <laughs> I think the, the most impressive thing, really, though, is that George just wouldn't let that go. No, that... Uh... <laughs> Stay tuned after this for uh, post-atomic Seinfeld. <laughs> What is the deal? No, sorry. 
I can't. <laughs> There's my quote of the episode. What is the deal? Yes. Yeah. The um the 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 Bajorans actually are fairly fully formed. Like that is how they will be in Deep Space Nine. Whereas Matt was really bugged when the Trill made their first appearance because they were nothing like how they would be. No. In the spinoff, they did a much better job of sort of keeping the uh, the Bajorans consistent. Than that. No, I actually went into this one prepared to be mad about it again because it was not DS ninety enough. But they actually get it pretty pretty perfectly right. Yeah, there's a couple of little nitpicky things like in Memory Alpha they talk about uh, Rose wearing her earring on the wrong side. Well, you know what? She's the first one to wear it, so the rest of them are wearing yeah. it on the wrong side. <laughs> and uh, stick that in your pipe and smoke it, Memory Alpha. And um. There was a thing, uh, oh, where they say the occupation was 40 years, and on DS9 they say it's 50 years. Shut up, nerds. Yeah. Who cares? Just shut up. It's 50 Bajoran years, all right? Yeah. Or maybe here it was 48, and they rounded it down to 50, or rounded it down to 40, and then by the time you get to DS9, it's 50, and they say 50. Yeah. What about that? Uh Huh? Yeah. Memory alpha. There is a lot of in the the Star Trek encyclopedia, no, the chronology. Uh Uh-huh. Where someone would say 40 years, and then the, it would point out it was actually 41. Yeah, you know people round things, right? Mm-hmm. Like Never I've, heard of that, have you? I'd say, Although I guess if you're writing a Star Trek chron- chronology, you're the type of person who obsesses over that kind of crap. I suppose that's true. It was actually it was actually 41 years and 13 months. Yeah, well, human beings don't talk like that. Human beings will say, eh, about 20 years ago. Yeah. Settle down. Yeah. Um... So let's talk about the awful uh, Rebel uh, Two-Face. Oh, yeah, Rebel Two-Face. He's the he's the Rebel leader down on the planet. He's he's in a cave. I love... He shows up, and he's wearing, like, a... Um, like a burqa. Yeah, almost like a burqa. Wrapped around his, wrapped around his face. And he's got a, he's got a scary robot voice. Mm-hmm. And he first... He first takes off the burqa a little bit to reveal that, oh my god, he's a Bajoran who's been terribly scarred in the face. He looks like half his face is a Ferengi that melted. Yes. It's like if you left your Ferengi action figure in the sun. Yeah, or against the heater, which I did a couple of times with the, with my toys as a kid, and then they would be sort of melty and drippy. Right. Oh no, melted snake eyes. Yeah. Um, but then but there's then, a further reveal. He pulls down his, his burqa some more to reveal that he's got a giant metal thing grafted to his neck. Yeah, see, my the note that I made here was I think he just smoked too much. I think he smoked yep. in bed, which then lit his face on fire. And then also he's got one of those uh, trachea boxes because he lost his voice from too much smoking. Well, he burned down his voice, so. <laughs> he burned down his voice. <laughs> like you do. Yes. I would say that the the overall arc of Picard and Roe together is fantastic. They start out hating each other. They yep. both grow some, go through some really natural progression. And by the end, they're, they're almost friends. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, well, she's like, well, I'll be quitting Starfleet now. He's like, well, I thought you'd serve on the Enterprise. Well, that would be very hard. Yes. And that's what we like. We try difficult things because that's what we do. Yeah. She's like, oh yeah. Okay. All right. I guess I'm in. Yeah. I, I really like that. They're, the, <laughs> the two of them really grew together and it was a nice, it was a nice progression for them both. Listen, if you stick around, you'll not only get the chance to turn into a small child, but you'll also be not just cloaked, but phased. Also, you'll have sex with nails over there, huh? Huh? <laughs> she sort of looks over and he waves. <laughs> Shoots her a little wink and that pointy gun thing with his finger. Hey. <laughs> so there's a Cardassian that shows up. Oh, God, yeah. Okay. 
on the one hand, they've gotten the makeup right now. They did. They they fixed the makeup. They got rid of the the weird, weird mustache jowls, mustache things. Yeah, and now their faces look great. On and the, the other stupid hand, helmets. Um, yeah. On the other hand, this guy has, I think, a Russian accent. He calls them Cardassians. I am from Cardassia. But then again, we can't assume that everyone on the planet talks exactly the same. There must be sort of a Russia on Cardassia. Oh, sure. Which it just occurs to me would be the most bleak place in the entire <laughs> universe. That's where they brew Canar. <laughs> but like uh, Cardassian, like um, Siberia? Yeah. That would be that would make Ruripente look, you know, like Risa. Yeah. Look at me. I'm Star Trek Dennis Miller. Look at that reference. <laughs> I'm awesome. But that's just my Star Trek opinion. I could be Star Trek wrong. <laughs> I see no flaws in that. That was that was a perfect <laughs> matchup there, Matt. <laughs> uh, that's all I got. Anything else from you? Um, the makeup on that Cardassian, like it wasn't bad, but it was very. There was something up with it. That, well, the that... design was right, but the application of it was a little shoddy. I would say. Yeah. Uh, what else? Oh, like you said, we get the first appearance of Mr. Mott, mm -hmm. who I was pleased to see actually is referred to as the best barber in Starfleet. I honestly believe that even the most incidental people in the Enterprise are the best. Like, Guinan's the best bartender, which I totally believe. They don't need yeah. to say that. I just know that she is. Yeah. But Mr. Mott's the best barber. Like, They've got, like, the best janitors in Starfleet. Yeah. All the, all the waiters in Ten Forward, they're, they're on, like, this really, really long waiting list to, to, you know, to get on the Enterprise because it's such a cherry gig. Yep. Like, well... I was, you know, I was the head waiter on the Intrepid, but that's, you know, that's just Plus, not I the same. I imagine bartending for Guinan must have been a, must be a pretty sweet gig. Oh, you'd learn all kinds of stuff about yeah. weird liquor and just, you know, about people, about friends, yeah. about about learning to give a care. She's one of those ones where like like all the bartenders want her to train <laughs> want her to train their bartenders so that she can then send them out into the galaxy to be better bartenders. Right. Stop it's like bartender. a huge thing on your resume. <laughs> Worked or, with Guinan for two weeks. Oh well, you're hired. Yeah, yeah. It was weird. I, she, uh, I didn't think I had a problem, but she talked me through having the problem and then made me come up with the answer myself. Yeah, very strange that way. But yeah, I feel like everyone on the Enterprise, everyone who does everything, is is the best at what they do, Bub. And what they do is very nice. Yes, like cutting hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else? Um, oh, there was the blankets thing. Was oh, it? yeah, they really wanted blankets. I like I like that uh, Picard's talking with the head of the uh, Filthy Rebels mm -hmm. going on Actually, about... Actually, Filthy Refugees. He's not part of the Rebels. Oh, excuse He's me, just, yes. Yeah. The Filthy Refugees, and Picard's like, well, look, we've got, you know... Yeah, we've got problems here. We're not really allowed to, to help you guys. Well, he's not, not allowed to help them. he's not allowed to help them in terms of shooting guys and getting involved in the war. Yeah, a, a huge part of this is that, like... Uh, yeah, like, Starfleet's hands are tied. Yeah. But and the guy's like, well, you don't understand, Picard. You think you have problems, but we, down here, we're just trying to get blankets for people. And he's Picard like, oh, just you want blankets? Goes, get these people some fucking blankets. Yeah. Look, we got replicators. We can make you more blankets than you could ever fucking want. And get them medicine and food. Now shut up and help me. Yeah. Look, say well, what you Okay, will. now that we've got blankets, we need some... You know what? Give this guy whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> if you give him a jar and a blanket... <laughs> Don't give him any guns, and then let's hurry up and get back to work. I got shit to do. Yeah, he points at his watch that isn't there. I, yeah. I gotta go, man. I like the idea of Picard calling someone man. <laughs> I've got a beverage pal. here, man. 
<laughs> oh, and Roe has this weird sort of Starfleet tank top. I like it. Yeah. And not just because, you know. You, you she get looks to, hot in it. Yeah, she looks hot in it. But it's it's a cool outfit. It's like if you're on a warm planet, it's nice to have sort of a sleeveless thing, and it didn't look yep. stupid. No. But I've never seen anyone else in it before, or I can't really think of since. I, I always assumed that everyone underneath their uniforms wore sort of a like the blue or whatever hell, the hell color it is. Oh, thing the gray the sort of charcoal. Jacket. Yeah. Man, I love that jacket. I know you do. I know. <laughs> in fact, in the next episode, which I didn't like very much, I was looking for a good thing. Ooh, the jacket. Shit, I wasted that on Darmok. Damn it. I should have saved that you good should, thing. You should have saved that for an episode that wasn't incredible. Yeah, that's true. This one was quite good, though. Yeah, and no, I, think, I really like this one. I think with this episode, we are off to a really good start with, with season three. Like, Redemption had its problems, but that was really solid. Darmok was fantastic. This is great. And then there's the next one. Uh-huh. Let me do my quote, and we'll talk about Yeah, roll about out that. your quote first, and then we'll get on to the sad. My quote is, okay, so after after Troy and Beverly try to engage Ensign Rowan, fail completely, then Guinan steps in and does her thing. Am I disturbing you? Yes. Good. You look like someone who wants to be disturbed. I'd rather be alone. Oh, no, you wouldn't. I beg your pardon? Well, if you wanted to be alone, you would have stayed in your quarters. The only reason to come here is to be amongst people. Who who are you? My name is Guinan. I tend bar, and I listen. Which is just beautiful. And again, it's amazing to me that the psychologist who is an empath couldn't figure that out for herself. Yeah. Just, uh, Troy, just shut up. Just, I've I'm done with you. I don't last... care anymore. In, in the last couple of episodes, I've started thinking of Troy as Lassie. Anytime something bad happens, there's this thing where they'll zoom in on her and she'll sort of look around and be sad. And all I can think is, what is it, Troy? Something wrong? The problem is when someone's trapped down a well, you can count on Lassie to say, there's something wrong, follow me. I don't think yeah, that Troy... Can't get, you, I don't Troy think, can't even get a ladder. No. She's just... Uh, I really did not want to get to this point where I just... Uh, great. It's yeah. Troy. Can we get on to something better? But Help, here we my are. name is Timmy O'Toole, and I fell down the well. Uh, well, how do you feel about that? Ah, uh, I sense I sense that he's down a well, Captain. Oh, good. You know, well, it turned out that. that he was just a kid in a tape recorder. You knew that, right? I mean, you are, you are psychic. Uh, well, it was a surprise to me. Yes, I am. Says that on a resume, along with trained as a bartender in Regainen. <laughs> Guinan's like, I've never seen this woman before in my life. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So pushing forward into the first real misstep of season five. Matt, take it away with Silicon Avatar. Silicon Avatar. Well, if nothing else, you at least have to say there were no flying mountains in it. That's definitely true. Which you hate. On the other hand, there was also no airbending. So, you know, I can't have it either way. Yeah, that's true. All right, so Commander Riker and Data are helping a colony put itself together, and Riker's just getting into it with his new Saturday night thing when giant snowflake slash lore enthusiast, the crystalline entity, shows up and torches the place, the big shiny dickhole. Riker's new honey dies in one of the worst acted scenes ever, and the Enterprise goes to pick up Dr. Marr, the crystalline entity's biographer. Dr. Marr does not care for Data, because Data looks like Lore, and Lore and the crystalline entity used to date, so she's snippy to our favorite android, which does not endear you to me one bit. Furthermore, the crystalline entity killed her son, so she whines about him every eight seconds. She backs off a bit when she finds out that Data carries some of her son's memories from back when they lived on the same planet, and then things take a turn for the creepy. 
She starts demanding that Data read her son's journal in her son's voice, and everyone feels really uncomfortable except for Data, who never learned how. Anyway, they eventually track down the crystalline entity, and Dr. Marr blows it up by shaking it, using science. She tries to get Data to tell her that she did the right thing in her son's voice, but Data drops the mother of all guilt trips on her, which is pretty damn awesome. I would not throw the word awesome around much in this episode, but no. uh, but yeah, it's nice. It's nice. I do speech. like that moment quite a bit. It'll actually fact, turn out to be my quote. Yeah, in fact, that was your quote. So let's uh, let's do that here. Tell me, that you understand, Rennie? That you know, I I did it for you, cause I love you, because I wanted to give you peace at last. I do not find such a file in your son's journals, Doctor. However, from what I know of him, by his memories and his writing, I do not believe he would be happy. He was proud of your career as a scientist. And now you have destroyed that. You say you did it for him, but I do not believe he would have wanted that. Yes. I believe your son would be very sad now. I am sorry, Doctor, but I cannot help you. That was quite nice. I'm sad now because of Data. Well, and you deserve to be sad, you horrible old woman. The only thing that we can't capture is the look on her face as her entire life shatters around her. (laughs) It's pretty fucking funny. On the other hand, what I decided to use for the cover art... That's pretty fucking awesome, is what that is. Is what Data's doing before she comes in to see him the first time. Yep. There's not, like you said, not a lot of awesome in this episode, but I think we captured the two things that are. And both of them are data related. Yep. Actually, I have a third thing, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. All right. Uh, let's do your good thing, bad thing. First. All right. So I like the ending of this episode quite a bit. Spent most of the episode hating Dr. Mars. So it's really nice that in the end, data just completely destroys her with a couple of words. Yeah. And, we and just, like I said, it's also my quote. We, we just heard that, yes. Yep. And, um, yeah, it's great because data's completely data. He's completely impartial. He's completely yep. objective. He's not trying to hurt her. He's oftentimes when she's being a jerk, he's like, why are you doing that? The facts say this. Like, mm-hmm. And so it's nice to see him keep that even keel and then crush her without – there's still not a, not a hint of malice because he's Data. Yeah. He's destroying her with the facts. Yeah. That is all. It's it's a little bit like the end of the uh, uh, one where, where Data's dating that girl. Oh, yeah. Where just – it's not even that he said the wrong thing. No. It's that he said the right thing, but it, it hurt really bad because – you know it's yeah. completely true, and he's not just being spiteful. Yeah, exactly. That makes it worse, because sometimes mm-hmm. humans say terrible things out of anger. Jada's saying it because it's true. Yes. Your bad thing? Okay, so Dr. Marsh spends a lot of time chewing out Data and talking about her dead gay son, and it is agonizingly boring. Mm-hmm. Like, there are moments... This is one of those ones where you can go over my notes later and just see the parts where I get bored, because all it says is arg and fuck. Yeah, and or, shut up, lady. I'm checking the runtime. Oh, God, there's still 20 minutes left. Uh-huh. <laughs> a lot of our notes for several episodes through both series we've done say that. Mm-hmm. How are we only at the 25-minute mark? Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway, this is an episode where the Enterprise is supposed to be fighting a giant space monster, and that should be really cool. That's your favorite kind of thing. My favorite episode is about that. But yep. then instead we get 40 minutes of, my. did my son love me? Yeah. Now, this is this is an example of, like with Ensign Rowe, like with so many others, if you have a sympathetic guest star, you can really get us to care about stuff that we wouldn't normally care about. Mm-hmm. But poorly written character, badly acted character, we don't give a fuck. Fine. Yep. Let the crystalline entity kill things. Who cares? Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. 
If the other weird thing about the crystalline entity is that we have no idea why it blows stuff up. I like that. That was that was something you quite liked about the Doomsday Machine. It's, I did, yes. It's a weird alien thing that no one can communicate with, and it just kills stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't mind that. What I really liked, and this isn't properly my good thing, but this is a good thing. The episode starts, as you said, on, on this planet where they're setting up a colony. I like that. We don't see that often. No. The, to begin with. We usually hear about colonies starting, but you actually see people unpacking devices and talking about, like, eating rations until they get replicators set up and little... Yeah, but everyone's sort of really excited to be doing it. Yeah, because pioneering spirit and all that. Yeah, I like the idea of colonists, you know, just sort of like, yeah, no, this is going to be awesome. We're and we, starting stuff up. And we only get about five minutes with it so it doesn't become tiresome. Yeah. But I like seeing that. There's so many things we, we talk about that mostly happen off screen that every now and then when we see them, it's like, oh, cool. It's like when we pop back to Earth. Like, oh, this is what Earth is like now. Neat. And it's like, oh, colonists, yeah, at first they would be roughing it because they don't have stuff yet. Right. And she, uh, the the chick that uh, Riker puts the moves on, um, says she's been saving up her rations for several weeks and she's getting some really good, horrible, freeze-dried food. <laughs> and you just get the idea that they're struggling for a bit, but then it's going to be awesome because they have a whole planet to themselves and the, yeah. they made it with their own hands. And it's very cool. But... The, that leads into the crystalline entity, and okay, it's 1991 by this point. CG technology is just sort of starting. Yeah, they did the best that they could, and forgiving them that because it is 1991, it looks all right. Yeah, no, it's fine but, for what it is. But you see it from the planet's POV, which you don't, I think, ever see. We show up on a planet that the Borg have hit, and it's a big crater. Mm. We show up on planets that have been decimated by other things, just an empty city. I th this is the first time I can think of where you're down there and it's peaceful and suddenly, oh, fuck, here's a horrible thing in the sky that's going to kill us all. Yeah, we were doing fine like a minute ago. Yeah, I like that. And I like our guys are down in it and Riker's looking up and like, oh, fuck, we got to go now. Yeah. And that was cool. And I thought, okay, maybe this isn't as, isn't as bad as I remember. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, if the rest of the episode had been about that, then it would have been awesome. Yeah. Where they got to fight it, and the Enterprise yeah. has to fight it, and the guys on the planet have to fight it, and they have to coordinate together, maybe, or something yeah. like that. Uh, oh well. But instead, they tried to turn it into a character piece about a character we don't know and don't like. And that's, you know, like I say, over and over again, to get us to care about a situation, you need to put a face on it of someone that we can respect mm. or like or sympathize with, and she was none of those. No. My I mean... Like, you lose me right away if you're going to... you got to work hard to come back from being a bitch to Data. Eh, that doesn't bother me. If there's... Pulaski took it, had to take an entire season yeah, you, for me to turn you around. Yeah, you warmed to her in the very final episode, and that was it. Yeah. It took 24 episodes to get you... No, no, no. 22 episodes because the last one was Shades of Grey, and that doesn't count. Yeah. That needs to be stricken from the record. Well, I was also sick that week. <laughs> Were you sick for Shades of Grey? I was sick for Shades of Grey. You son of a bitch! <laughs> Actually, I was just thinking ahead to uh, – we've just gotten into season two in the episode guide. <laughs> and I'm thinking Shades of Grey should just say entry redacted. Because <laughs> fuck you, Shades of Grey. God, we're four seasons along and I'm still fucking angry at that. Well, it's still terrible. Yeah, it is. Um, anyway, my actual good thing was at the beginning. Uh, Matt pointed out the the chick that ends up dying is just a horrible, horrible actor. Yeah. But – when Riker's putting the moves on her at the very beginning. It's it's great to see Riker in full form being Riker. He's so smooth and he's not pushy and she's into him and she's cute in that early 90s, lots of chicks I dated in high school way. Mm -hmm. And it just, I don't know, it's a cute little scene. And it should be sad that she's dead, but as you said. <laughs> Riker! 
help me! And there's wind, so you can barely hear her. Yep. She's like, no, help us! Oh, God. What will become of me? (laughs) What a thing to happen! Can we actually just put that in here? No. No, we can't. (laughs) Digging up quotes is hard work, Matt. I'll dig it up. Right at the beginning. No, but pulling the quote and, oh, and well, that's trimming fine, it and yeah. Uh, yeah, you just do it. You do I'm your imitation. Sad. Actually, let's reenact <laughs> the whole flying. scene. Let's reenact the whole scene. I'll be Riker trying to have sex with you. Okay. And you okay, this just got weird. <laughs> but still less weird than that chick trying to get uh, Dana to do her son's voice. Oh my god. Um, it gets I mean, and it's supposed to be un- unpleasantly unsettling. Alright, let's let's get into that in a sec. Let me do my bad thing. Alright. Okay. This episode is doing the Moby Dick thing again. We have done the Moby Dick thing in the Doomsday Machine, in Obsession, in Star Trek Two, and I think we've already covered it once in Next Gen. We have. I forget which one, but I know we have. And we'll cover it again in First Contact. And mm-hmm. I'm almost positive there's probably episodes of DS9 and Voyager, and maybe even Enterprise, that do Moby oh, Dick. Oh, you know there's episodes of Voyager about this. I'm not, this is not even one of my times where I'm disparaging those shows. I just, it feels like something Star Trek just keeps wanting to do. Mm. It, it's, look, the Doomsday Machine was great. I'll even give you Star Trek 2, but stop it now. Yep. There are so, there is so many... There are so many works of classic literature. If you want to do that, if you want to pay homage to great works of literature with with really tragic characters or really strongly driven characters, pick a different book. Yeah. I mean, for all the talk of Shakespeare, borrow from Shakespeare, borrow from anything from the literary canon. But Jesus Christ, Moby Dick. Hey, you know what would have made a great episode of a sci-fi show? Great Uh, Expectations. (laughs) Yeah. Would it be about uh, the pips on their uniforms? <laughs> also, uploading thoughts into data makes zero sense, and I hate yeah. it when human brains go into electronic stuff. That just doesn't yeah. make sense to me at all. No, I mean, we were talking about this. I like the idea that, that uh, Soong created data's brain from a variety of, like, well, I think he mapped the whole positronic thing mimicking the human brain so it could think more like uh-huh. a human, which I think they're doing rudimentary experiments like that now. They're trying to make machines think more like humans. Okay, that's cool. But they, he shouldn't have their specific memories. Yeah. And in fairness, Data doesn't. He has journal entries and he has records of his voice. Yeah. I still don't like it. No. I, it leads to that horrible, creepy thing, which, okay, let's talk about that now. Data, I want you to do me a favor. Sure. I want you to tell me I'm good in the voice of my son. Of course. You're good. <laughs> you did a good job. There is there is a bit where Data's recounting the journal entries that are on record. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about, well, he was very fond of this girl. He was fond of her intelligence, her sense of humor, and her physical attributes. And he does, Spiner does this great sort of sideways, I'm not telling her that. Yeah. And it's it's oh a nice. Oh God, his mom's here. <laughs> it's a nice like data has developed as a character, and it's very subtle. We've pointed this out before, where he's learning how to deal with people. Mm-hmm. Season one, data would have just told her. Yep. He liked her tits. <laughs> but they had sex four times in one night. Mm-hmm. But now he's like he's learned, and he's like, you know what? His mother does not want to hear this. I'm mm-hmm. gonna just gloss right over that. Except her, his mother does want to hear it. Yeah, well. Yeah. Because she's a creep. Yeah, there is just this whole weird. She, it, she's one step away from putting a wig on him, and you know, calling him by her son's name. Yep. 
It, she, she actually starts calling him that by the end of the episode. Yeah. No. Like, she, after she kills the crystalline entity, she turns to him, grabs him, and goes, I did it all for you, Damien. <laughs> now, I do like, I, in, in the hands of a good actor, I think it would have been better. I do like how she's sort of just smiling and completely mm-hmm. oblivious and almost sort of... Yeah, just broken. Yeah. When she kills the crystalline entity, she's like, I'm a good mother. Let's let's go. Wee. That was that was kind of cool. But building up to that, the fact that we get three or four acts of her just agonizing over her son. Yeah. I think if she had been a background character and we'd focus more on other stuff, that yeah. might have been okay. I could almost get behind that, but... Yeah. Uh... Just... You know. It's just so dull. In fact, we even pointed out that this could have been an episode of the original series. If you swap mm-hmm. out Data for Spock, maybe swap her with a man. I can't decide if they would have cast an old woman or not, but either I way. I feel like, just just off the top of my head, I feel like TN, or the original series probably would have made her a man. Possibly. But in any case, I I think this just the story beats felt very original series to me. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Not just the Moby Dick thing, but in general. And not a good one either. Boring in that same way. Yeah. Where we spend more time pe- with people overacting about their emotions than doing things. That cool space stuff. Yeah. Or even, you know, look, some of my favorite episodes are just two people in a room or three people on a planet. Like, you don't have to have cool space stuff necessarily. No, Dar- you don't. Darmok was two guys, you know, hanging out in a field. Yeah, but if you don't have good writing, you should at least have cool space stuff. That is and true. this episode had neither. That is true. The Crystalline Entity... Uh, like I like we were just talking about, it, it, we don't know what it is. We don't know if it's good or bad or if it's just killing stuff because it needs to eat. Like, we don't know, and I like yeah. that. But on the other hand, we've already seen it once, and nobody demanded this follow-up. No. Like, we have the, the writers even say that in the uh, yes, on uh, Memory Alpha. Somebody pitched this to them. Mm-hmm. And according to Brent Spiner, they, prepping the next episode took a really long time, and they're like, fuck, we need a script. Take that one. Let's go. Here. And he said it wasn't very good. Michael Piller said it wasn't very good. I think Jerry Ryan even, uh, yeah. Jerry, Jerry Taylor. Sorry, Jerry Taylor. Jerry Ryan is 7 of 9. Right. I was thinking of her physical attributes. I apologize. Yeah, me too. Uh, now I'm thinking of Ensign Rowe. Now I'm thinking of the <laughs> yep. two of them. In any case. Hang on. I got fan fiction to look for. <laughs> We're almost finished, Matt. Do, do it after the show. <laughs> or we'll go back to the data or the uh, the Riker and uh, what's her name role play. That's some fanfic. Um, completely lost my train of thought now. <laughs> what is happening? Where are we? I don't know. I just realized what we should do for Emerald City, though. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, and Picard wore his jacket. Hooray! So that happened. Oh, the crystalline entity. He, he, it disappeared off screen. Like, when Lore showed up in uh, Family, or, no, not Family, uh, Brothers. Brothers, yes. He said, uh, Brothers forgive each other, Data. Yes. He uh, he says, uh, well, I ditched the crystal snowflake, and that's it. That's all we needed. It's gone now. Yep. Lore broke up with it, and, and you know, unless unless it's the crystalline entity coming back to Lore's magic castle to get its stuff, <laughs> there's really no need to follow up with it whatsoever. <laughs> He's still got my tapes, yeah. a couple of pairs of my pants, okay. and three of my preacher trades. I'll leave a box outside, okay? <laughs> Here's your stupid stuff. That's that's Lord. Just overact. Here. <laughs> Shake hands with danger. <laughs> Maybe you are the one who is wrong. <laughs> uh, because very little happened in this episode, though, there's um, there's not really much to discuss. Not a whole lot to talk about here. Uh, un- unfortunately, no. 
It's uh, show's running a little short this week. Yeah. Usually we, we carry it out to an hour. Actually, we do have a piece of mail, and we usually save these for the supplementals. But um, we had this is sort of a timely thing, and I don't want to wait until we get to the end of Season 5 in, like, three months. Right. Because this the relevance of this will have long since passed. So let me pull up the show mail right now. And... Okay. Okay, so we got a piece of mail, and again, this is timely. We don't usually do mail. Uh, but the show's running short. This is this is a thing that's sort of in the news now. And it's sent by um, a guest that we're going to be having on next week, uh, Marissa, ah. who will be joining us for the first time. Uh, we've had her husband, Brewtown Andy, on a couple of times before, but this will be mm-hmm. her first time. That'll be nice. Um, she sends us a link to uh, the first nine minutes of the new Star Trek movie, Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, we'll be going into theaters ahead of the Hobbit movie. Mm. Um. And so if you go see it, and I think IMAX, you get to watch, right. you know, the first nine minutes of uh, of the new Star Trek movie. Yeah. I am well on the record as not being a Tolkien fan for a variety of reasons I don't need to get into. I will buy a ticket and watch the nine minutes and then leave probably. Yes. You, on the other hand, apparently like The Hobbit, so you'll sit through the whole thing anyway. I do. I am not a Tolkien fan, but I, the, the Hobbit is the one that I actually I've, I've heard a lot of people say that who aren't into the big sprawling thing, that the nice mm-hmm. little story is fine. I just, I'm not a fan. But. Yeah. I will totally, you know, Tolkienites, I will still give your movie some money just because I want to see this. Uh, and, and Marissa asks, in or out? I know the anticipation is running high for more Star Trek, but will this preview just be more torture or a nice satisfying appetizer to the main course in May? I, like a certain someone else, I'm pretty sure she means her husband there, have steered clear of onset photos and other potential spoiler sources, and I'm not going to cave in the home stretch. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought about that, too. I may just not see it. I... You know, my go-to answer is, sure, I'll go see it. I don't care. But eh, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll wait. Yeah. I I don't know. I feel like they probably specifically wrote the beginning for that. Mm-hmm. Just to give you a taste without it spoiling the rest of the story. Nah, I'm, I, I'm in. Fair enough. Well, let's say we had this kind of preview for the first movie. Mm-hmm. Where you watch the shit. What was the name of the ship that Kirk's dad was on? Uh, the Kelvin. Thank you. If we watch the Kelvin get blown up and then it ends right before the opening credits. Mm-hmm. That, okay, you know Kirk is being born. You know Nero. But that's it. It doesn't really, like, it doesn't spoil the rest of the story at all. No, but in that case, I would have gone just because well, yeah. my anticipation for that movie was so low. Right. But my point is, if that's the way they're going to write the next one, mm-hmm. the first nine minutes will give you a taste, but it really won't spoil the rest of the story. No, we're talking about a, like, two-hour-plus movie here. Right. Hopefully. If they fucking make that movie like 67 minutes, I'm going to be, you know, very unhappy. But yeah, so that's out there. And we'll give you guys a link if you're interested, if you haven't heard Mm -hmm. about it yet. I apparently am out on the fence. Like, my original assumption is, of course, I'm going to go. And now, thinking about it, I don't know. Maybe I'll wait. Just, it might be better just to see the whole thing. I don't know. I'm going back and forth on this right now. And I, yeah, I don't don't know. I'm just, I'm going to The Hobbit anyway, so. Yeah. Well, but you might not be seeing an IMAX. I think you have to go see it in IMAX True. to see the... No, um, I mean, now I'll work to get that. Right. Well, if anything, I can I can, um, I can, can bug you for nonspecific details. And I, will go, and I will answer every one of them with maybe. Oh, you dick. <laughs> All right, final bit of business. We got a couple of things to talk about. We recently put out a supplemental episode. Um, mm-hmm. Usually those come between 
you know, seasons, like between the break, between four and five, uh, we had a bit of a pileup of material, a, 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 an overage of material, if you can believe it. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of content between that, uh, the drunken time travel crossover we've hinted at that uh, we had to split into two parts because it was three and a half hours. Of course. Um, and a few other things we have going on with our other show. I just, I kind of threw it out there last week, but it is there. We we do talk about a bunch of stuff, including the revelation that we may still be uh, attached to something that you wouldn't expect us to still be attached to. Yes. Bit of a surprise there. Nice. What could it be? Nice, interesting discussion, I think. We, we mm. really got some good, uh, good points out of that. So yeah. there's that. Uh, we do have an official release date for at least the first part of the Nurungan time travel crossover. That will be November 29th. Mm-hmm. I know some of you are really looking forward to that. Um, so that'll be posting then. Uh, one final thing. This was sort of designed more for our other show, Sarcastic Voyage, which is more of a general comedy show, but it will help serve this show as well. We are doing a fundraiser this year. It is a fan club for Sarcastic Voyage. Um, the design elements were done by uh, Vishal Bardwaj, who designed our the logo for post Horror, many of our cover arts, and just uh, lots and lots of cool stuff. The guy's incredibly talented. He's been on the show a few times as well. Um, and it, it's sort of a retro Golden Age of Radio 40s looking thing. Yep. Nice <clears throat> slick logo with me and Matt looking like blimp captains. Hell yeah. And um, the thing is, if you give us a couple of bucks, uh, you don't have to give a lot. Like, we got, we got different tiers if you just want to throw us a couple of bucks. That will help us, um, well, it'll help us print up the episode guide that we're working on that we mentioned before. Right. And it will help our appearance at Emerald City both to get the word out about the show and hopefully to do a live show in front of an audience. Mm. So it does pertain to the show as well. And if you're interested, we'll, we'll throw you a link for that too. We won't be hitting it as hard on this show, but we wanted to let you know that it's out there. Yeah, just so you're aware. Right. So I believe that is all the business we had, of course, uh, volume one of the uh, episode guide and or the uh, the app are available at uh, com. Check those out. Mm-hmm. I noticed we got a small bump in uh, purchases and downloads when I actually mentioned that those things are available. So they're available. <laughs> so, yeah, go go check those out. Uh, the, the thing I always want to impress on people is we wrote different jokes. Like as right yeah. now as we're writing volume two, we're making very sure to write new jokes and not the same stuff you heard on the show. Mm. If we're going to charge you money, we want you to get new content. So there is that. And with that... That's all we got. Next week, we'll be doing Picard gets stuck in an elevator and Wesley comes back. But it's actually pretty good. No, they're both actually pretty good. Yeah. Oddly enough. Uh, and our pal Marissa will be joining us. So yes, she will. Look forward to that. Matt, say whatever the hell you want. I don't care. <laughs> See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun.